0: Snack production. Are you tired of not getting what you want in life? I used to feel the same until I learned the techniques of manifestation. Let me take you through step-by-step step how I manifest so you can start living the life you had always dreamt for yourself. All the info on my Manifest Your Greatness course is in this episode's show notes or you can go to the shop tab at sarahgrinberg.com to purchase Manifest Your Greatness. Chica Kibor is one of Australia's leading creative forces for imagining, styling and transforming homes and spaces into magical places filled with joy and love. She is most well known for being the owner of The Big Group, Australia's largest privately owned catering and events company, as well as being a main feature on the reality show Housewives of Melbourne season four. In the conversation that follows, Chika and I discuss the importance of family and positive connections in business and life, the darkness of reality TV during her time on The Housewives and what goes behind being given a budget of millions to put on one of the world's most lavish weddings.
1: It was in a stadium the size of the MCG, 2,000 women. At this particular wedding, on either end of what was the size of the MCG were screens, these LED screens. We'd created this staircase that came down covered in white gardenia, white violets. Like we're talking on a 45 degree day, bringing in flowers from Amsterdam. They'd brought in six massive plane loads. It was extraordinary the smell, the setup, the size, the colour, the flowers. Like they brought in the ballet from Chicago, a Russian orchestra, all women. And it was just breathtaking.
0: I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is a life of greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth, and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Chika Kibor is the author of two books, Chika Home and Chika Celebrate. In its essence, this conversation is about constructing a life filled with increased happiness and profound personal satisfaction to better flourish and positively impact the overall well-being of all. May this episode shine a light on the limitless capabilities we all hold within us and how only we carry the keys to unlocking its power. We've got the beautiful Chica here with me today and we were just talking about how I have written down all my notes because I like to use a pen and paper when writing questions and I was saying to you that I could have had an iPad. Well, I do have an iPad and I just chose not to use it because there's something really old school about writing things down and then having them in front of you. I respect that so
1: much, though. <laughs> I love old school. And, like, I have next to my bed a pen and paper. So if I wake up in the middle of the night, I write things down. Do you? Yeah, because if, if something's in my head, it won't go until I know that I've got it written down and I'll remember it tomorrow. Yes. So I totally respect that. Although I hate my writing, so it's like a bit of a scribble. Really? But I look at your writing and it's very beautiful.
0: Yes. Well, I would have thought you would have Nice writing, considering the industry that you're in. I know, I should have nice writing, but I don't (laughs) think I do. (laughs) Shame. Well, thanks for joining me. I want to start at the beginning, because you've had such a colourful life. You've had a, a beautiful life but I want to know a bit about your childhood and where it all began for Absolutely, you.
1: well you know what, I actually had a really happy childhood, like yes. mum and dad happy life, two beautiful sets of grandparents who were very much involved in our life and as we got uh, sort of more into our teenage years my parents travelled a lot, dad was with Fosters and he was away um, ten months of every year and mum went with him and as a result of that I kind of became a little bit of the mother figure to my sister. And so who'd look after you guys? Well all different people so it could yeah. be grandparents one week, it could have been a family friend, it might have been the girl down the street, like it was a really big mishmash, which I think actually in hindsight was a great thing, Yes. because we never were just with one person, so we were with a whole lot of different personalities, but our grandparents were a huge part of our life, and um, they were incredible women, I love both of those women so much, and you know, one grandmother really taught me how to cook, and to clean, and how to, you know, cut flowers, and do all the sort of real homemaking things, yeah, and I loved it, whereas my sister wasn't into it at all but I'd sit for hours in her um, what was her sort of laundry I suppose but she had all her cottons and all her sewing threads and I'd colour block them and I would constantly be tidying up cupboards and neatening things up and she had a cleaning lady uh, called Mrs Kitcherman who taught me how to fold sheets properly and how to stack the I just really resonated with all of that.
0: something also like that they had the time for you to do that in the sense that, you know, like a lot of parents these days, and me in particular, I don't really do that stuff with my kids. Like I just get it done. You just do it. But there is something like my daughter came home recently and in kitchen garden at school they've been learning how to make eggs. She's like, I want to make the eggs. You mean cook eggs? Yeah. Yeah okay, that's great. Like why, you know, instead of like going, no, you'll make a mess. And you know what we do? We like, we don't want them to do that because we think it's quicker if we do it. Absolutely. I mean, I see where you are now in your life and how divine that you're... Grandmother was sitting with you and the cleaner, absolutely, and showing you how to do that, and really stuff. cared about it. Yeah. And I
1: never thought about it being anything more than just a really lovely thing to do. I never thought I'd probably end up with a career that revolved around yes. those things. But and it's true what you said about your children. My both my kids now live out of home, and they constantly ring me up for things about how to wash something or how to clean something, how to do something. And I'm thinking, oh, as, did I fail as a mother? Did I forget to do it? But I think we were just so busy. You know, yeah. I worked full time. My grandmother's did work full time. So they had that time. And I yes. think, you know, that is my luxury now is spending time with people and actually really enjoying and listening to things. So when they were doing that for me, I really... I, I really appreciated it. And in fact, I found the other day my grandmother's um, handwritten cookbook and it's got all her little cleaning hacks and things in there as well. And they're really special because really? who am I going to give that to that's going to care about using bicarb of yes. soda and vinegar and all the rest of it? What was their it. heritage? Uh, my mother's uh, mother was Australian but was Spanish yes. in her family background. My father's um, uh, was Spanish. Uh, English and French. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah, so a nice little
0: combination there. Yeah. And I wonder, did you grow up with any sort of religion or any spirituality or anything like well, that? Well,
1: my dad was Roman Catholic.
0: Yes. And he married my
1: mother who was Church of England. So for him to marry mum, he had to sort of leave his his, um, beliefs behind. And I think inside his family, there were a few issues that had happened around the church. So he was quite happy to do that. So I went to um, two non-denominational schools and then I went to a Church of England school. And religion was not a massive part of our life. And and it's funny, I've now married um, Bruce, who is Catholic. So that's more in my life, but I'm certainly not Catholic. So therefore it's been in my life but not been a
0: guiding light. Yeah, because I wonder, I feel like you have beautiful traits about you. You've got good ethics and you can see that on so many different avenues through the work you do, through you as a person. And I wonder who reflected that to you in your life?
1: I think my um, father's mother, she was an incredibly beautiful, very gentle yeah. woman. So she actually had been on the stage during World War One and World War II. She lived in London and she was travelling the world or travelling Europe um, as a very young woman performing. And then when she had my auntie, she was born with a lot of health problems. So she became a naturopath and she was, you know, we're talking about in the 40s and 50s, which was a time when that wasn't really a yeah. thing. And so with her, what I used to call her Gemma, she really taught me about, you know, using um, lavender to help yourself go to sleep, massage, relaxation, um, doing nice little rituals for yourself and just kindness. And then my other grandmother taught me about just appreciating beautiful things. So I'd go out in the garden, pick flowers and my grandfather was an artist and he'd show me how to draw them. So I think I really had an appreciation for just what was around me and, you know, loved using arts and crafts as my way of, you know, reflecting it, I think. Yes.
0: And then how did you go at school?
1: <laughs> I wasn't a great academic. I didn't love school yeah. at all. I loved home ec. I loved art and craft. I loved all those things. I loved the social aspect of it, but <laughs> I hated school. And in fact, I remember when I was doing year 12 and I said to my um, one of my teachers that I thought I'd like to be a, legal, uh, a lawyer doing yeah. criminology and she laughed at me. And I was oh. like, wow, well, that's rude. But she, in hindsight, she was right. I was just not that person. But creativity wasn't really encouraged. It wasn't a thing. No, it wasn't. So it was, I didn't even have home egg
0: at school. Didn't you? Oh, no, no, that I loved. wasn't I went to an all girls
1: school. And, and it that was, wasn't
0: even and it's something hostage. we should all be doing.
1: Absolutely. Everyone should learn how to cook an egg, how to yes. you know sew a button on. All the basic things. So, um, look, school was the thing that I wanted to get out of as quickly as possible. And I said to my father, I will finish school, but I won't go to university. And he said, that's fine, but you need to support yourself. So as soon as I left school, I ended up working and I knew that I loved food, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. There was a little French bakery um, owned by this gorgeous man um, in Deep Dean, which is where I used to live. And I used to go there at 4.30 in the morning. He taught me how to make and bake everything from croissants to tarts, all kinds of things. And that's when I really... thought that's what I wanted to do and then I ended up moving to London doing Cordon Bleu and wow. Constance Bride, which was fantastic. So that was sort of the beginning, and it was always a thing that I loved. Mum never cooked,
0: ever cooked really? a meal. No, nope. isn't it ironic what you have achieved and your mum never cooked? Well, I think that's why, because I know, but she yeah. didn't cook, and she would. But she was would say to me,
1: "What do you want to go and buy? We'll go and buy what, you, whatever you want." And I loved recipe books. I would sit and read through them really? like they were, you know, my nighttime reading. Yeah. And I loved finding and exploring and trying new things. And then my other grandmother, who was such a Um, you know, traditional homemaker, she wasn't doing anything outside the boundary. So when I was putting flowers in my salads and, you know, (laughs) trying to make things look a bit different, she was like, oh, that's interesting.
0: (laughs) Isn't it interesting when you hear people's stories in life and it can be a mishmash of they went here and they did this and they did that and yours is just from day dot. Yeah. It couldn't be more like if they said to you, okay, in 20 years' time, 30 years' time, you're going to do this, you'd be like, Yep, that makes perfect sense.
1: But I thought I was going to be a stay-at-home mother with five children. Wow. And then when we started our business and everything took off, there was no way in the world that was going to happen. Yes. And I was really quite shocked that I didn't want to have more than two children because that's what I always thought would be my my passion. But I think as soon as I started working and was able to be creative and every day was a different day, yeah. that's when I realised that's what I really loved. I couldn't sit in an office. There was never going to be a nine-to-five yes. job for me. Um, but I just, I don't know, I really enjoyed the fact that I could do what... I wanted and, you know, experiment, play around with things and still get paid for it.
0: And how did it kick off? How did you get into like working in that industry properly? So after I'd done my
1: year overseas, yeah. uh, which also my parents very much wanted me to do because they were quite loving the relationship I was in. So I spent a year <laughs> um, doing Cordon Bleu and I also worked at Laura Ashley, which was an incredible experience. Yeah, and yeah, I love that, that sort of, um, you know, the, the concept of creating beautiful spaces for people. And when I came home, mum and dad had a dinner party with Peter Rollins, and I had never seen anything like it. A team of people came in, moved all the furniture out. They brought in flowers, you know, linen, napkins new chairs, cutlery, all the rest of it. Totally transformed this room where there were 60 people for dinner. Then all the kitchen was taken over by chefs and all the rest of it. And I thought this is magic. And then the next day it was all gone. So I spent the whole night working with them and they rang me the next day and offered me a job and said, you were amazing last night. Do you want a job? And I'm like, yes, please. And then as a result of that, I met Bruce. So we were doing things. It was sort of the end of the 80s. um, You know, The world was on fire. There was incredible things happening. And I don't think the word no was said to any Anybody. So I mm. saw events and parties that were just next level. And you know, the incredible Kevin O'Neill would do the most extraordinary floral installations and you know it was just amazing. So that's when I realised that's what I wanted to do. And both Bruce and I by then had, you know, fallen in love <laughs> and realised that we How old were you? I met Bruce when I was twenty. Yes. And we prop and we got married at twenty three. Wow. So it was quite young, but we both decided that we wanted to set up a catering company originally just to save up enough money to travel. And then we got work and more work and more work. So it was like, okay, that trip is not going to happen. We went on a holiday, but not like we were going to do. And then it just kept growing and growing. And then we had babies and it's just kept on going.
0: Wow. Can you tell us
1: about some of those wild parties? Oh my god. Do you know what? It's so funny because to even say it now it probably doesn't sound that incredible. But we would do parties at Portsea on the cliff and you'd start at eight o'clock in the morning yeah. and finish at eight o'clock the next morning and you would have like not just stopped setting up. just sitting up and yeah. then doing the event and then you know you were actually sort of there with all these incredible people and I remember one of the parties we did was on the beach and the tide actually came in and we had to move all the tables and chairs and we had to I don't know, there was just it was just Bringing in entertainment from overseas, I did an amazing party in Sydney, and um, it was around. It was at um, on the harbour, and they had Peter Allen come in on oh. an absol- on a um, float yes. with uh, fireworks and everything going off. And we'd done this dinner for a thousand people, and we'd wrapped every chair in tin foil, and every it, everything was just big and grand. Yeah. And you know, we're talking before Instagram, so you had to wait six months for that to come out in a magazine because it was usually covered by That's a Vogue right. or a Bell or someone but no one had seen it. So it was all brand new and it was just so exciting. And we were doing food that was different. Maxims would do the um, the soufflés and I don't know, it was just very bright and fun and exciting. And I also met a lot of my friends as a result of working in that industry really? because we were working 70 hours a week and we were always together. So we were kind of um, all thrown together and became lifelong friends. How nice is that? And then you were on the
0: good, was it the good morning show with Bert Newton? Yeah, so
1: I was, Bruce and I, um, (laughs) they came and asked us to do a pilot for a TV show, which was going to be about a husband and wife cooking, which didn't go down so well. Bruce wasn't quite the talent they think they thought he was going to be. And they then offered me Good Morning Australia. So I did a weekly segment for four years with Bert and I did it on everything about how to decorate your house, how to use lemons, how to, you know, all kinds of things. Yes. And I loved it. I really, I didn't think that would be me. At school, I was the really shy, quiet, don't ask me, not with my friends, yeah. but I just hated being the centre of attention with teachers. And all of a sudden, here I am doing this show, cameras are on live, and I loved it. I was like, who knew that this was what I was meant to do? How good is that? How was working with Bert? Amazing. I with love Bert? I have to say, Bert yeah. was an amazing man. He was a kind, good human being. Um, he pushed you. Like, there were some things that was happened. He? Oh, yeah, he was tough. Like what? Oh, like he, would, he, he had an ego on him and he would like to assume that everybody on the show was there as a result of him yes. or had become successful because of him. And um, I had a disagreement with him about that one day because we'd also worked really hard doing our own of thing. And I could never take away from what Bruce and I had done together. And I respected him because he, when I challenged him, he took it and he said, fair call. I hear what you're saying. And that's right. You're, you're exactly right. So Maybe I, a lot of people in that space never get challenged as I well. I definitely agree with you on that. They don't. And he very much was someone that I really respected and I really loved. And I think he and Patty had a beautiful marriage Mm. and in fact, whenever I see her now, I always love giving her a big hug because I just think she is such a special woman and they had something quite unique. I don't think many people have what they had and he was part
0: of Australian TV history. He was part of Australian TV history. And so you enjoyed that period. I loved it.
1: I loved it. So for four years I did that every week. And it was fun because I had to constantly think of new ideas and, you know, make sure that what I was doing was going to come across well on television and that I could showcase what I was doing. And, um, yeah, it was fun. And it was really uh, a new doorway open for me and again it was before social media so it was a really easy way I had just opened up a shop with my mum called the Veranda and Garden Room so when Bruce and I first started we had opened up a shop called Provencal which was a food store that got it just got so busy with the catering world we had to shut the shop down to take that space for the kitchen and then we moved to Richmond and this building was so beautiful I thought what am I going to do and mum said why don't we do a shop together so we then travelled around found beautiful um You know, we'd go to bric-a-brac stores and junk shops and buy things and redo them and remake them and um, it was a beautiful experience. So I had that shop for four years, the whole time while I was doing GMA and it was the most amazing bit of media for me to get people in the door.
0: Isn't that so interesting? And then when did the big group come out. I know it was called a few different things before the big group. It
1: was called big and small because we were going to do big parties and small parties. (laughs) But we changed that fairly quickly actually. We realised that we wanted to have just one name. And so when we did the opening of Southgate, which was three weeks before we got married, so that was thirty. Five years ago. No, sorry, 30. No, we've been married for 30 years, but the business had been going for two years before that. So 32 years ago. And um, that was the start we had all our staff. We had 700 staff. We'd had Um, aprons made, business cards printed off at the old Pink Panther and the cards went out that night and then the phone started ringing the next day. But before that we had started at A in the phone book for advertising agencies and so (laughs) we'd sort of started working for them and they were able to, um, they were really happy to allow someone new in and they were happy to do something a bit different and that's how we got our break really.
0: Now you have this, obviously, this very successful business, The Big Group, which is just such an Australian icon of a business. And we were talking about before that it's become very big overseas as well. Yes. And you've done these huge parties in Dubai. Yeah, we've done a lot of work in the Middle East. How did you get there? Well... We had been invited to an event in Dubai
1: and you don't always find out why you get asked to do things. Yeah. It's very hard to find the answer, but we were asked then to quote on a wedding, which was a very big wedding for 2000 people or oh, women. Man. And from that event, we then got more work and more work and it's all word of mouth. And everyone obviously wants to, you know, they've seen what you've done. They want to do something bigger and better the next time. <laughs> so that was all before COVID, obviously. Yeah, um, We haven't really started back doing that kind of work. We're doing some things in Europe this summer, which will be exciting. I think sometimes you just go for it. You don't ask too many questions. You don't try and find out why, how come. You just do it and then hopefully prove yourself and you then meet incredible suppliers. And as a result of that, those suppliers recommend you to other people. And it's just like this sort of spin on effect.
0: So tell me about the biggest event you've done in Dubai.
1: So it was in a stadium the size of the MCG. There was 2000 women, only women, no men. So how men. come
0: only women?
1: Because th- if they take their a buyer off, the men can't oh, see them. So I see, yes. So on this particular, at this particular wedding on either end of what was the size of the MCG were screens, these LED screens, and we'd created, or the company that we worked with had created this staircase that came down covered in white gardenia, white violets. Like, we're talking on a 45-degree day, bringing in oh. flowers from Amsterdam. They'd bought in six massive plane loads. It was extraordinary, the smell, the setup, the size, the colour, the flowers, like, you know, the table's all seated, roughly 20 people. It was just, it's. it was one of those spaces that you were looking around going, this is extraordinary and we're a part of this. Yes. And what they'd bought in the... Um, the producers of, it was either the Oscars or the Emmys, I can't remember which one, they brought in the ballet from Chicago, a Russian orchestra, all women. And it was just breathtaking. And I remember looking at these women who all made Kim Kardashian look unattractive and I think she's very beautiful. And the clothes, the the, the gowns, the jewels, they all had security guards. It was just next level. I'll never forget that. And we'd also done, not for this wedding, but we'd done another wedding and we'd done a 1.5 kilometre dessert bar, which started at white and went through to pink. And we've done things like cakes suspended in the ceiling that come down and then they are worked on during the event. So, Sweet things are really important. They love sugar. They don't really yes. drink, so therefore that's something yeah, they love. Yeah. So we tried to do lots of things that were theatrical and fun. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to showcase much of that work because we have to sign um, yes. NDAs on it. But for the staff that go over and the experience of it, it is extraordinary. And we, f- I
0: feel unbelievably lucky that we've had that experience. Do you ever have moments, and I'd love to hear about one, separate to what we were just talking about, where you sit back at the event or even like after when it's finished and go, I just, I cannot believe my life. Do you know I never, ever, ever have done that, ever. Really? And then
1: we, one year had done the spring racing carnival and we'd done a majority of the marquees and I'd done all the decorating inside them all and they were all very different, everyone from Moet to Maya to a whole lot of different brands. And one of the girls that worked with me turned around and she said, just stop and take a look at what you've done. Because you're always busy thinking about the next thing, you never do that. And I realised how important it is, and I've never stopped doing it now, just to have a moment to go, that was fantastic, or I did that well, maybe that could have been done better. But I think we need to have that moment of self-reflection. Absolutely. And give ourselves either a pat on the back or a little talk to, because A, we're tough on ourselves, but I think it's also a nice thing to even teach our children that it's okay to look back and go that was bloody good.
0: Yeah. You mentioned you have two kids and family is very important to you. Unbelievably so. And it's important to a lot of people, but I know for you, especially, that's like one of your primary things, even as a working mother. Why has that been such a foundation for you? I think my two children, my favourite son and my favourite daughter, (laughs) um,
1: They have just given us, like, it's obviously been a big journey having, you know, they would always say the big group was the first child in our family. And it's true because a lot of sacrifices were made for the business. You know, we didn't get to go to every sporting event or every, you know, parent teacher or I'd forget birthday parties and all that kind of thing. It was a big distraction. But those two kids were amazing and were very happy to come along and be a part of a setup tying napkins, putting chair covers on. They've been engrossed in that business from the very beginning. And so I feel very lucky that that's what they were able to experience, but also to appreciate. Yes, and, you know, Chessie's now 29, BJ's 27, and both of them at different times have come back and said that we gave them such a great work ethic from those experiences Mm. or even Chessie the other day said to me, you know, Mum, I I took it for granted that you and Dad would sit in the car and have these creative banters with one another (laughs) talking about different jobs and ideas and that we were a part of that. So creativity was something that was really encouraged in our family and she said, I've got friends that don't even know what that means and I I think isn't that sad because for us as a family and, you know, we are so very, very tight and I think because we um, worked really hard that those moments that we could all be together were special And I remember one day Bruce coming and saying to me, I just want to let you know I've taken both the kids out of school because I'm running away with them for the day. And the headmistress at their local primary school said, that is the best thing that's ever happened. I've never heard a father do that and I'm thrilled. And they rang me up and said, come and meet us. We're having dinner at wherever we're having dinner. So I think just taking the moment to do all those little things and, you know, now both of them live overseas Every day I ring those two, whether I speak to them or don't speak to them. I will always make the effort um, because I miss them. And, you know, particularly for Chessie, whenever I speak to her, usually I'm having my coffee and she's, you know, making dinner. So she'll say, what should I do? What do I add? You know, and it just sort of feels like we're together even though we're not. Yes. So, and I'm really proud of them. And I love the fact that, you know, I always say, particularly with BJ, who was such a sporty boy, he brought another element into our life that we didn't have. And Bruce went to every sport game that he could. And I don't know, it just taught us a whole lot of other things as well. And having their friends still involved in our life, even though they both are away. Really? He's also, yeah, they ring up, check in, have worked for us, done lots of things. So I feel lucky. I do feel very lucky in that respect. And if I was to give myself a pat on my back for anything, it would be for the way our family works together.
0: That's so good because, you know, I know that when you started off, when Chessie was young, it was at six weeks I think you had to... Yeah, put her into daycare. Yeah, so there can be that guilt that like I have guilt the whole time because I think, God, I I need to give my kids more time and it's hard when you're working a lot. And I wonder, did you struggle with that? Big time.
1: I felt guilty all the time. And now I say to people... Our children don't know any different to what their life is, yes. so therefore, we can't feel guilty about it, because what are you going to do differently? If you're not happy, then they're not going to be happy, yeah. and you know, I thought it was really important for our children to understand that they got the things that they got, because we were both working really hard, um, and we talked about it, and I think when things went wrong, I would apologise and say, it's my mistake, I stuffed up, and I really made a very conscious decision that that was going to be the kind of mother that I was. I wanted to own my mistakes, but I was also going to make sure that when they did something wrong, they knew it was that they'd done something wrong, not just me picking on them. So um, the guilt thing has been pretty prevalent in my life and it's probably only since they left school and travelled and then sort of come back to me and reaffirmed that they actually realised why things were done or how come things changed or whatever it was and that they appreciated it. And you're like, oh my God, thank you. How good (laughs) is that? It's the best. It's like, and you only need one of those moments for each child and you just go, that's all I needed. I
0: know. That's all I needed. And I wonder for you, you obviously went on to go into reality TV, you're on Housewives season four. I think it's the only Housewives I've ever watched. <laughs> I don't watch reality TV at all. People always asking me to have people on the podcast. I'm like, I, I actually do. have no idea who <laughs> that person is. I feel like I'm so old, even though I'm not. But I just turned off TV quite a few years ago. But when you were on TV, I watched it. Thank you. How did that come about? You're like the last person personality-wise, I would think, would ever want to go on a show like that. You
1: are 100% correct. So I got an email asking me if I'd be interested to have a chat to the producers of this new TV show that they're going to do about seven women and their friendship. And I knew of Real Housewives. I'd seen, um, yes. I think, the New York one I'd seen. And I thought, maybe they just want to talk to me about people because we you know know so many different people yes. and maybe that's what they wanted. But it was me. And I thought, well, you know what? Why not give it a go? It yes. can't be, you know, What can I? Yes. what can happen? Bert
0: Newton what was fun. Bert Newton was fun. I could do Bert. I could do <laughs> the Real
1: Housewives. And I think on the first shoot we did all together. I just something happened, and I went, "Oh my God, what have I walked into?" But I'm also a person that's very. I know who I am. I know where I sit on things. And I. The thing that upset me was that. Start saying that I was like um, Switzerland or I was a fence sitter, yes. and I was like, "But I'm actually not. I'm actually someone with a very strong opinion. But if you're having a disagreement with one of your friends, I'm not going to. I'm not going to um, get into it. That's yeah. just not what I do." if you ask me to help you, then I will definitely give you my opinion. So I found it really interesting just the way the whole psyche of that thing worked. And then obviously you've got cameras, eight cameras on you the whole time. That part I didn't mind. I didn't have a problem with that at all. And doing the storylines that were, you know, what was going on in my life, that was all easy. It was just all the argy-bargy that started going on and the aggression and the negativity. I didn't like it.
0: So tell me, okay... Because I know that all reality TV shows might be a bit different and maybe back when you did it as well, it wasn't as bad as what it is now. But from what I understand of working in media and being a producer for many years too, granted on radio, not TV, there's a lot of editing that goes on. And you sign waivers, they can edit it however they want. So how did you feel about that? Because I've heard things that it's even they'll take words and just slot other words in to make you look not you personally, but on other shows I've seen look like an idiot because they go, okay, we want this girl to seem like a bimbo or whatever it is. I think all of us when
1: we started had no idea what to expect and it became like the biggest show on television and in America it was huge. So I don't think any of us had any idea of where it was going to go. However, if you say the words, then you've said the words. So they will come out in some way to haunt you. It was a very hard show for them to edit and change because there were so many things going on all the time. So even though there was your own storyline, so there were seven of us with a storyline, then there was our storylines together. So if I was having a conversation with one of the girls and they heard it and they would say, that's actually interesting, let's dig into that further... If they changed that or edited it from the very beginning, it wouldn't have made sense when we got to the end of wherever it went with it. Okay. So they didn't really change. They would come and say, you're coming across as X, Y, and Z. Maybe you want to be a little lighter. Maybe you want to, you know, do this. But I was very strong in the way I felt I was. And I didn't want to um, change. And not that they asked me to change at all, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But um, they would say, you know, such and such is saying this about you. Do you have an opinion? And I'd say, No. Because yeah. I didn't want to get into it. I just didn't really want to go down that nitty-gritty path. I could see where some things were going and I just wasn't interested. Would they make stuff up? Some of the girls would say things just for the sake of getting a
0: reaction. So that's but when the producers ha- wouldn't make it up and say, like, no. you know, this one said this? They may when- have
1: whispered in the ears of some of the girls to, you know, why don't you push this one and see what happens. Oh, really? Yeah, but they didn't make things up. and Like, they didn't make up a story just for the sake of making up a yes. story. Because ultimately there were so many people involved, it just wouldn't have worked.
0: If I went on a reality TV show, but I suppose like you kind of know now because there's more of them than when you did Absolutely, yours. Absolutely, yeah. You know a bit more about what you're stepping into. But wouldn't you be like really careful about everything that you were doing? Well, I think it comes down to being
1: someone that's been in their own business. Like for me, the thing that I needed and wanted to protect more than anything were my marriage, my family and the business. Yeah. I worked really, really hard for those three things and then there was no way a TV show was going to ruin that for me. Yes. So I... um. You know, I'm a very considered person. I don't just say flippant things for the sake of saying something. Yeah. So I will sit and think about it and then say what I need to say. So I felt that I was in control of all of that anyway. Yeah, you do then start hearing things going, oh, should I have said what, 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 oh? and you do start second guessing yourself. And yeah. I think after the first season aired, it slightly changed a bit because all of us were a lot more aware of just a whole lot of things from the way we looked to the way we spoke to the way we, you know, looked at a camera, all that kind of, even the way we um, addressed each other, it definitely changed. But that was just just growing up. And Ooh. now I think anyone on a reality TV show has got so much fodder to look at and yeah. to get ideas from that they... Um, almost being pre in it before they even do it. Do you think it helped with your career? Um, I think it grew certain aspects of the business. Yes. Um, for myself, yes, I think I came out of it really well. And I think people, I think also too because I had that business part behind me. If I was just doing it to go to another party, well, no, I don't think that would have been yeah. at all. But because of um, the fact that Bruce and I had been happily married for, I think by then... Oh, it must have been 20 years we've been together then. Plus, our business was successful and we had a good name around town. Like, we haven't really done anything to annoy anybody, so it worked.
0: Yes. And with the ladies that were on that show, Are you still friends with a lot of them now?
1: A couple of them I am, definitely. I actually had lunch the other day with uh, Gina, Gamble, Jackie and Janet and a couple of the, um, well, the EP of the show and a couple of the women who looked after us. It was so much fun because at that time when it happened, I felt like we were all in a bubble. No one understood what was going on. You know, I'd walk down the street and people would be coming up to me and asking me all these questions about my kids or I'd be at Chadston with BJ buying him a new pair of jeans and someone would go, hi, BJ, and he'd go, oh, that is just so weird, Mum. Like, it is so weird. So that was a really hard thing to get used yeah. to. Um, some loved it more than others. And I've always been very lucky that everyone that's come up to me has been nothing but lovely. Like, I haven't had people come up and say horrible things, whereas some of the girls did get that. Really? Yeah.
0: So what, what happened Just horrible them?
1: things. People being just taking everything very literally and abusing them and, you know, really? ringing up businesses and trying to ruin the business. Like, all just kind of horrible things.
0: There was a picture that Lydia put up online. Oh, the fat shaming. Yeah, and she changed the photo to make you look fat. fat. She did. She did. She did.
1: So there was the photo was taken at an event that we'd done, which was um, for the. Football, a grand final. And so I have the original photo. And so what she'd done was she'd expanded me and I look like a big roly-poly. Like it didn't even look real. And then it was her and um, Penny Floor on either side. Anyway, she put it up on Instagram and it was weird because we don't speak. Like she's not a friend of mine and hadn't seen each other for years and years. So she put it up and someone on my social media came and said to me, just want you to know what's happened. But Lydia's put up a picture which is really unflattering and I don't think it's (laughs) the right thing to do. Anyway, I just thought, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to give oxygen to this. But I'd sent it to Chessie and said, have a look at what um, Lydia's done. And she overnight while I was asleep then put up a thing going, I just feel a grown woman should not treat another woman like this. And it was also during COVID. Everyone was going through a tough time as it was. So hold
0: on. This was after you on the well, show. This is
1: like yeah, well, she did it like a year ago. What? Or well, two years ago, sorry, oh my when, God, it, when it went I COVID. This was during no. Your own Housewives. No, no, and the thing it was such a slow news day. It ended up being on the front cover of the Herald Sun. It was in on the project. It was on all these things. It was on the radio. And I was just like, oh my God, this is mortifying. At the same time too, she she's denying that she did it. But she did do it, because I've got, as I said, the original photo. Yeah. You can't compare the two. Yes. Um, well, you can compare the two and you can see the difference. But, yeah, so I, it was just... I don't understand why. I'm not into pulling other women down. I feel women should support women. I think we do it tough enough as it is. Yes. So if you've got nothing nice to say, say nothing. But
0: if you've got something nice to say and you want to share it, do it. And tell me, when they're shooting The Housewives, how many days a week do they take oh, up of doing your the time. Oh, really? Pretty much you're working six days
1: a week. Do they pay you? You get paid. It's not, amazing. It's not a huge yeah. amount of money because...
0: Because you can't really work in the business during that
1: time. I always say, and every girl that's gone on to the housewives since, um, I've pretty much spoken to every one of them because they've always said to me, "What do you think I should do?" Yeah, and I've always said, "You need to have a reason to go on a show like that. You need to have a business that you want to promote, a product. There has to be a reason. It can't just be because you just think it could be fun to get get invited to something else or something. Exactly, because it is very all-consuming and it does take over your life. So, um, we were shooting, yeah, easily five, six days a week, and sometimes we were shooting at five o'clock in the morning and finishing at two o'clock in the morning. Really? Doing publicity, doing radio, Jeez. doing TV shows, like, you know, good morning shows, that yeah. kind of thing. So it was huge. It really was. And then we, I went to New York with um, Jackie and Janet and we did the Today Show. We did um, Andy Cohen's show. Like, it was extraordinary. We were in Times Square in the biggest poster you've ever seen. And you're just going, that is surreal. But I also now, just, like, I just, when I see it, I go... That was like a lifetime ago. Wow. But an amazing experience.
0: Why was it... Because, you know, America is packed with the reality TV shows. What did they love about because the Australian Because they one?
1: didn't think Australia was going to be so like America, I really? think. I think they thought... I don't know what they thought, but they were surprised by the way we spoke, our accent, the fact that we dressed up, the fact that we travelled, you know, just... Yeah, and I think we are probably a little bit more... Um, uh, original than what those American girls are. Some of yeah. those girls have had a lot of work done and they're far more intense, whereas we were pretty, if you look at it, we were pretty easy going at the beginning. Yes, yes yeah, it changed, absolutely. But I think they were intrigued just to see, even Melbourne, I think Melbourne came across as a hero yeah. in the Royal, in the Melbourne Housewives. Um, the way they shot it, it was so beautiful and I think that's what really got people sort of into it all.
0: Isn't that interesting? And I wonder also, we were talking about COVID and um, obviously you have a big events company, which is like one of the biggest things that did get hit, the hospitality, that kind of industry. And Bruce was a shining star. He was amazing. He was amazing, really, for like people who are listening from overseas. We're from Melbourne and it had the biggest lockdowns out of anywhere in the world. So there was just weeks after weeks, which became months after months of us not being able to do anything. And obviously that hit that industry very hard. Can you tell us a bit about Bruce, why he decided he wanted to talk out about it and how that had such a positive effect.
1: I don't know if you remember when it happened. It was uh, the Grand Prix was on. It was that
0: weekend. I I remember because the Grand Prix is around the corner from here. And I remember at the time I was producing the Hamish and Andy podcast And I was driving to work, thinking in my head, it must be okay because people are lining up for the Grand Prix. And then we get in and we hear the news. And I remember just Hamish and Andy standing there and me and my other producer. And I just felt this anxiety well through me. So, yeah, it was terrible. Well, so
1: I'd gone to that lunch on the Thursday, which they do this women's lunch, and everyone was talking about COVID, COVID, COVID. Do you think we're going to, what's going to happen? And we were all having such a good time going, oh, it's not going to happen. And then obviously on that Friday, it shut down. And then Bruce rang me and he said, I think we're going to have to shut the business down. I think it's going to really be bigger than what we um, expect. Yes. And he said, I think we're going to have to stand... We had 1,600 staff, everyone down. And I burst out. I was like, this is out of... I don't know how to control this. I don't know what's going on. So we did do that. And we... um, Stood everyone down and then we... did well, we you do send an email or something? No, we tried to get as many as we could in and then yeah. we tried to ring as many and then we obviously sent an email. But we tried to do it as, yes. as face-to-face as we possibly could and we didn't know what was going on. And it was before JobKeeper, so we didn't know we were mm. then going to be able to help our staff out. But we were really scared as to what we were gonna happen and also to was it gonna be a week, was it a month, was it how long was it gonna be? So um we then ended up getting on the phone to Coles, Telstra, Optus and we got a majority of our staff new jobs. So Did we you? really yes, we tried really oh, hard to make sure that everyone so had something. And then we had a couple of staff come and say, we want to stay on, we'll work for nothing, we'll do whatever you have to do because we don't want to let you guys down. And then obviously it kept getting bigger and bigger and then we got JobKeeper and then we were able to help and bring in as many of the staff back as we possibly could. But in that time, Bruce realised that um, it wasn't just us. Inside our business, we have lighting, we have florists, we have um, entertainment industry, we have Harry the Hire and all kinds mm. of, everyone that makes up an event. It's a huge industry. And we were then being told from the other side what was going on at the Grand Prix and all the things that were happening and all the drama at the, behind the scenes. And so, yeah, Bruce, he just started talking um, how he was feeling and just sort of started this sort of conversation. And it just kept growing and growing. And then he was getting people who had small businesses in country Victoria and, you know, other things that were outside the realm of what I think he even thought he was, or the people that he was talking to. Mm. And then as it got worse and, you know, things were happening and then we were hearing about what was going on in Europe and how they were approaching things and it wasn't happening like that. Bruce was The one thing Bruce did is he never criticised. He always said, here is a problem, but here's a great solution. And he was constantly coming up with ideas and could we do this and would this work and how should we make this happen and anyway did it get listened to? No, not that often, but um, it was something that was really important for him, and I think it was important for people to see the vulnerability and the fact that it was really tough. And even in our our own group of friends, I don't think any of them even understood what we did. I think they thought, and and across the board, people think hospitality is a restaurant. Mm. They don't realise that doing an event or catering or any of those things, even though there were a lot of comments made about, oh, it's just a wedding. Well, we had 1,600 weddings that were put on hold (gasps) that we had to Constantly be every time there was a we're out of lockdown, they would try and get married, and then you can be guaranteed that some of those weddings were then back in lockdown. But that's time and money spent reproducing, redoing, reorganizing, and it was our money that we were constantly you know spending. So, um, for Bruce, it was really cathartic, and I think, and I constantly just told him how amazingly proud I was of him because it was. Extraordinary, and then the thing that I love the most is last year we went to Italy, which is our favourite place, and there's yeah. a hotel Il San Pietro, and it's our very very happy place. And when we walked in, they all gave Bruce a hug and said, "No one in Italy stood up for the hospitality industry the way you did." And we watched mm. all of your videos, we translated them, and we just want to tell you how much we love you. And I was oh. just like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" The power of that it was so huge. Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of respect for him because it was tough. There were days, let me tell you, that say, it was. You?
0: cope during that
1: time? Yeah. You just, I think sometimes when you're being the person that's providing support to other people, mm. you, that actually is what keeps you going. So, yeah, don't worry, there was tears behind the scene, but there was always that really beautiful feeling, you know, that, you know, Bruce would speak to someone who would say, you know, something horrible, my husband's just killed himself, and which happened a lot in the hospitality really? industry. Yes, it was, we did a lot of work with um, Tomorrow Man um, because it was an industry that was very much affected. So we did kind of group workshops and things like that, just to try and help particularly males um, get through it.
0: And I wonder, were there days where you thought we'll have to like close the business or anything like that? As it
1: kept going, we were just like, what's, there was one weekend. um, It was the weekend of Valentine's Day, Chinese New Year and uh, tennis. And we had the busiest weekend. We had bought $700,000 worth of food. We'd rung to find out that there was going to be no lockdown. We were told there was no lockdown. There was a lockdown. Mm. We had to throw the food away. We weren't allowed to donate it to a charity. We couldn't do a thing. And I think that was the point where we thought, this is, I I don't know what we're going to do. Like, it was literally getting to the point where, what are we supposed to do? And I think there was no hope. There was no, we were Mm. seeing what was happening in the rest of the world, but it just felt in Victoria that we weren't being listened to. And um, even the rest of Australia didn't get what was going on here. So, look, what doesn't break you makes you stronger and in hindsight, I look at that experience and now we're on the other side of it, so it feels okay to say it now, touch wood. Um, but there was good learnings in it too. Like, we learnt a lot. We learned who the people were that really were yeah. important to us, the people that supported us, the people that loved us. Um, I think inside the business, Bruce realised where the weaknesses and strengths
0: were and it's been a positive thing. What do you think has changed about the business since COVID? Um, look, we, the
1: corporates are definitely not 100% back yet, so we've mm. still got that part to go. We spent a lot of last year getting through events with people that had booked in and, yes. you know, weddings and 50s and 40ths and all that sort of thing. So that was all great. Now they are coming back. And for us moving forward, we're going to probably go more into that corporate world, more into... Um, Streamlining uh, into that area where it's less emotional mm. and more—it's um, just easier and sort of. Don't worry, we're still going to be doing the weddings, but it's just <laughs> I think for Bruce, he needs that as a as a focus for something different. Yes.
0: What's the most fun event for you that you've ever been at?
1: Oh, um, th- I'd say my fiftieth. We had gone away for our wedding anniversary and I wanted everybody to come as a person. So we gave everyone a title, whether they were Maharani, whether they were a a Chinese Empress, whether they were a uh, Lord and Lady, everyone got given a title and they had to dress in that respect. Oh, wow. So uh, we were Lord and Lady Sandwich. Yes. And everyone made a massive effort and I really wanted to bring in all the different elements of who I am. So it was every table looked different. We had stuffed peacocks. We had different chairs different cloths, different flowers. It was mad, it was crazy. It was full on. And it was like a it was like a scene from a Baz Luhrmann film and I wow. loved it. I loved the craziness of it all. I loved the effort that everyone made and I just looked around. And it's funny because when you're in the process doing it yourself, you kind of forget that you're the client. Mm. And I love that experience. Like I understood why people love working
0: and doing parties because it's fun. It's so fun. I wonder, you'd see all types of human nature working in this industry. You'd see the best and the worst. Yes, indeed. And I wonder if you can give examples of both. Oh,
1: (laughs) well, I think uh, when someone's getting married, you can see the stress that a wedding can have on a family, particularly between a mother and a daughter. That can be quite extreme. And we do seem to be in the era era of the groomzilla. There's a lot of grooms who once upon a time were never involved in a wedding, just sort of rocked up and were in the marquee for the first time. Now they're very opinionated and they're seeing things and wanting to put their five cents worth in. So that's quite interesting. And I think it's just navigating around everyone's personalities and all the, you know, things that are going on. How do you do that? I think you just have to stop and listen. You just have to make sure that each side has their moment to sort of share their grievances and you need to separate them and you need to sort of try and make sure that you can um, explain to both sides how it's going to work really easily. If you just maybe need to have a coffee or do you want a glass of champagne or should we go over here and you can do it. It's just you've got to constantly be doing a bit of Tetris and moving things around.
0: Is there ever that language is not appropriate with oh, me oh yes oh
1: not being yes look look people get very emotional and they can speak really rudely yeah. most of the time like, they'll when come back do and apologise kind of
0: say like oh you that's do that's not okay you have to do that from the very yeah, beginning you do because
1: I think I'm happy you do you have to because we will do everything and anything for someone yes but there's got to be a point where you are respected for being just a human being and yeah. you can't speak to people in a rude way. of the time people are very kind, beautiful, appreciative, all those things, but sometimes you just get the odd one that just, uh, you know,
0: takes it too far. And I wonder, like, seeing the best of human nature, are there moments there or a moment you remember where you think, I'm so grateful to be doing this?
1: I feel like that most of the time, to be perfectly honest. I feel it is such an absolute, um, it is such a pleasure and it's such a lovely compliment that people want to use us as a part of their storytelling, their special day, their whatever it is. Mm. And it's very... It's a very rare occasion where you don't have a moment where you just go, that was really beautiful and how lucky was I to be a part of that. And I think it's appreciating those little moments too. Mm. And it could also be a staff member doing something as simple as helping a a lady up the stairs and you watch it happen and how she there might turn around and do a quick little jig with him and think that's fun or it's it's not even a big moment. It's usually the smallest thing in the world that if you're not looking, you won't see it. Mm. So um, I think it's just appreciating what is there for you.
0: How has social media changed the landscape for you guys? Hugely. Hugely, it's good such and bad. An in- good
1: actually. Yeah. Well, obviously, the bad part is that if there's a problem, people have feel it's oh, their yeah. right to get and you That's know true. tell you exactly what they yeah. think. But the good part of it is that you get to share your work, mm. you get to share what you're doing. And I know personally for myself, I enjoy social media. I don't have, um, I haven't really had that many bad experiences. And if someone does have a crack at me or wants to tell me that I've done something wrong, or you know, you look fat and that, whatever it may be. I quite often will go back and say, thank you so much. I appreciate your um, opinion. However, and nine times out of 10, you can actually get people to um, change the way they've spoken to you. Because I had one woman who just hammered me because I've got a range with Harris scarf now. And she told me she didn't like one of my lines. She didn't think it was good enough, yada, yada, yada. And I went and told her what I thought she should do and how she should deal with it and go back. She then messaged me and she said, I have to apologise. I think I was just being a bitch and taking it out on you and in fact everything I said is not true and I'm really sorry and I thought if I hadn't have gone down that path with her I probably never would have got that result and it was actually quite nice to know that I hadn't done anything wrong but um, people can just get on those little keyboards and write what they want because they're having a bad day Mm. so I think if we can just always look at things with a good mind and go "How is that person's day what's going on can I change it sometimes you can't sometimes you just got to delete and block but you know for most of it, it's been good.
0: Do you have any kind of wellness practices? Do you do any meditation or anything like that?
1: Do you know what? I've always tried to be really healthy. I've tried to... I've, I've worked out in my 54 years of being a total yo-yo with my weight, yes. the what works for me now. And it's, you know, intermittent fasting. I have my coffee. Um, I try and exercise. I've got, to, I've got to get a hip replacement so I can't mm, do much at the yeah. moment. But I do try every day to have a moment, even if I just walk out on to our balcony and look outside or... If I'm down at our place on the peninsula and walk around the garden, just to be in nature, mm, take the beautiful. dog for a walk, whatever it is, try and take my phone or leave my phone at home or not have um, other things distracting me because I'm good at getting distracted. Yes. So I really do try and be really present. And since COVID, the thing that I've really learned. Is listening. I just, A, I feel like no one ever listens. But B, I just think listening to a friend, having a conversation, being with smaller groups, not always being in such big groups and just really having intimate one-on-one with someone is I the greatest that. thing. Yeah.
0: How good is it just having one-on-one conversations? I, so like, I think I've always liked that. So it's ironic that I now do that as my job. But well, see, so it's your passion though. You're yeah, doing what you should be doing. There's something so beautiful about sitting with a friend and just speaking to them and becoming intimate, knowing things about their life and bouncing off each other. But just hearing what's going on. So
1: interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be the biggest thing in the world. It can just be the smallest. How was your weekend? Or how did that, you went to that new restaurant?
0: What was it like? It can be the
1: smallest thing. And I just think getting to know someone really well is a joy.
0: Mm, I agree. What is the best advice that you have ever been given?
1: Um, I think probably the best advice has been be kind to yourself and and it was also to stop and smell the roses. Stop and look at what you're doing. I lived so quickly, I was doing things so fast that I never was um, present, and I didn't feel like I was enjoying anything. And now I enjoy everything. If I don't want to do something, like if I get invited to something and I think I don't really want to go, well then don't go. Yeah. If you want to go, um, or catch up with a girlfriend, pick up the phone and make it, make the effort. So um, that's probably the best thing I've ever had. Is and also, dude, my other my quote that I live by is: you can have everything you want in life, but but not at the same time, mm. so you will get it, but it won't be, in, you know, with yes. other things going on. So you just have to be patient sometimes, which is not always easy. Yeah, patience but is hard. Patience is good. Yeah, and I look now, and I constantly look at my life, going, look at things that have happened that have led me to the path that I'm on now, and I think, okay, so that was meant to be. I didn't mm. know it at
0: the time, but that's all good. What do you wish for yourself, Chika?
1: I'm in a really happy place in my life right now. I feel very content. And I don't. I, I say that word very lightly because I, I, to, to be content usually means you've sort of given up as well. But that's not where I'm at. I, I just mean in my own self, I have stopped pricking myself apart, finding all my faults and my flaws. I feel like in my friendship group, I'm in a really happy place. My marriage, my children, everyone's happy. And they always say um, your, a mother is the happiest, her saddest child is. And my kids (laughs) are really happy. So I'm in that really good place. Um, Moving forward, I've got so many projects I want to do and I've got really exciting things on my horizon and I'm just going to go for it. Mm. You know, what can happen if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I'm not going to not give it a go. So there are things that probably 20 years ago would have scared me, but now I'm like, no, I'm going to go, see what happens. How did you learn to stop picking yourself apart? You mentioned It's really hard. Yeah, I just think I was spending so much time picking myself apart. And dare I use the word M, menopause? It the way
0: you look or your. Oh, it was everything. It was,
1: I would see a photo of myself and go, oh, look how fat your face is, or look how big your bum is. Or um, it's never been my personality, it's just been. Aesthetic. Aesthetic. And yet I'm not a perfectly perfect person. Because no one is. No, but it's also, (laughs) no, I don't live like that. I love imperfection. So I think I was finding fault for finding fault's sake. And I never felt, um, I never felt good enough. And even when you said about the housewives, I never felt that I was meant to be on that show. I always felt like a bit of the loser, a little bit of the dag, not quite as cool as some of the other women or as attractive as the other women. And yet... In hindsight, I was the woman that most women related to because Mm. I was probably the most normal. Yes,
0: of course. So um,
1: not that I consider, like normal's a weird word, but I think that's the thing that I started going, you know what, there's people out there with far worse problems and bigger issues than you worrying about a pimple on your cheek. (laughs) Like, seriously. (laughs) But I also love eating and drinking and having fun.
0: So, you know, you can't have it all, can you? And it takes time to also, like... Love yourself fully. But you I suppose know? isn't that what age is all about, really? Yes, it is. It's actually
1: Acceptance. accepting things and I for the way they are. Yeah. And mm. you either if I wanted to really become Elle McPherson, well then do what you have to do to become Elle McPherson. Yeah. But do I want to spend all that time doing it? No, I don't. So I think I've allowed myself or learned to allow myself just a little bit of kindness and a bit of leeway
0: soon as someone does that, they become so much more attractive yes. inside and out. Yes. It's like this they have this way about them where you're like, wow, she's just, you know, shining. inner confidence is
1: really more attractive than anything else. Absolutely. And as we know, looks fade, but personality doesn't. And I was very lucky because I did a little collaboration or a big collaboration with um, Blue Illusion and I got to meet Iris Apfel. and I went across to New York and I went and spent a day with her. Now, she's 101. That woman is the most stylish woman. She owns who she is. She is interesting and interested. And I learned a lot from her because when I walked in, she knew all about me. She knew what I was about. She had done her homework. I wasn't just a random person working into her space. And I thought the fact that you're at a hundred, even making that kind of effort is extraordinary. So she was a big lesson to me, actually.
0: There's something in that, I think, about always making that little bit of effort getting up in the morning... Putting your lipstick on. Yeah. Always. Especially working in the area that you're in. Why do you think that is? It's just good for the soul. I think
1: it's like making your bed as well. Yeah. All those little things go to help make you feel calmer. I don't walk out of my house without the dishwasher on, the washing machine, the bed's made. It's ready for Vogue to come and shoot it. Yes. Uh, the same with myself. Even if I'm going to the gym, I'll always have my um, lipstick on. I'll have have—I'll be coordinated. I don't just roll out of bed. I've yeah. never been that person to the point where I actually hang out my clothes for the day if I've got to do three or four things and I have different outfits. I like to be organised and presentation to me is just as important. You know, my nails always have to look good, my roots, all of those sort of things. And, yes, it's pressure I put on myself, but to me that's part of the package of what I do.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. I'd love to know, do you have a favourite prayer or mantra or saying...
1: Mm, that's a good question. I don't. I love reading quotes. Yes. so I'm constantly looking at quotes and f- and and screenshotting them and keeping them on my phone. <laughs> so I do look through I do them. That too. but I don't have one in particular that I go through. yeah, I suppose if I, it depends on where I'm at, if I'm having a bad day, I will go for obviously something that's more about you know, be kind, be nice, all that sort of thing. Yeah, or if I'm feeling nervous or scared or about something, there'll be something else. but I don't have one thing.
0: I think I might actually go and find one. I like that. do you? One that I wrote about the other day, which I do really like. And again, I like you, I think when you're going through something or if it's a, just a certain period in your life, good or bad, quotes really resonate. And the one that I always think about is this too shall pass, ah, the good and the yeah. bad. It comes and it goes. It's the ebbs and flow of life and nothing is forever. Yeah. Things always change. And I suppose what I try and do now is that something really upsets me
1: once upon a time, I would try and push that emotion aside. Yes. Now I allow myself to actually sit mm. in it and then move forward because I think that unless you actually acknowledge it, you can't do better. Absolutely. And so I really have tried to um, think about a lot of the things that happen, good and bad. You know, like if something exciting happens, I think I don't just go, yay. I think, well, you know, you worked hard. That was happening because you've put X, Y and Z yes. effort into it. So I do try and... Um, balance it all out. Yeah.
0: What is a life of greatness to you? Oh, what a great question.
1: I think a life of greatness for me is to be loved, to be surrounded by people that I love, to be fulfilled in what I do and to have exciting goals and challenges moving forward. Mm.
0: Chike, you are such an inspiration. Everything that you've accomplished, and you make so many people happy by the work that you do, you put everything into it. Thank you for the beautiful conversation today. Thank you so much, and
1: thank you for your beautiful questions. They were really, th- I love a question that makes you think, and you did.
0: <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind the scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Your Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my manifestation course and meditations, head to the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com or this week's episode show notes to find a link. If you love what you heard, we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. Listener.